Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me for our episode on Psalm 24 is Olivia Giles. Olivia studied spiritual formation and biblical studies in her official education career. She's married to a bearded philosopher, as she describes him. His name is Nathan, and she also has unreasonably high standards for sci-fi movies and Mexican food. Again, to be clear, straight from Olivia. But I can attest that you ought to hold a Mexican food recommendation from her in very high esteem. They're not easily earned. Olivia brings a deep and consistent thoughtfulness to her faith, so I'm really looking forward to our conversation together today. So to get us started, here's Olivia reading Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. For he has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not lift up their souls to what is false, and do not swear deceitfully. They will receive blessing from the Lord, and vindication from the God of their salvation. Such is the company of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Olivia, welcome to Curious Psalms. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. First question, which you're not prepared for, on a scale of 1 to 10, <laughs> when I asked you to be on the podcast, what was your level of hesitancy? Oh, goodness. I'd say very low. I enjoy a good conversation with you either way. A little bit higher than normal because of the recording aspect. But <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fair. Put a microphone in front of people and it does change the nature of a conversation slightly. Mm -hmm. Although I'm confident in both of us, Olivia, that we can have a good conversation. Good. Listeners can't see Olivia, nor can they see me. But if you could see my view of Olivia, <laughs> we do this via video chat. It's a little behind the scenes. And there's a nice kind of gauzy film it's almost like we're having a conversation through time here. <laughs> like I'm kind of talking to someone in maybe like the, the early 2000s or something. I like it. <laughs> Piercing the veil a bit, huh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, Olivia, you know what our three questions are. I prepared you in advance and our listeners know what they are. So why don't we just dive right in as we interact with Psalm 24. So our first question is really simple, but I'm really curious to hear your answer. What stood out to you in reading this psalm? Oh, I think, I mean, it's a fascinating psalm. And initially when you asked me mm -hmm. to be on a psalm podcast, I was like, oh, great. I love the psalms. And then I was like, oh, no, it's like a creation <laughs> ascension psalm, which is what I'm the, the least comfortable with. And so, I mean, if you had a, like a psalm of suffering or desolation or Thanksgiving, yeah. I think I could relate a little bit more. But this one, I was like, okay, mm. this this is some stretching for me. I think... I think the thing that really stands out immediately is that question, 
who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? And then it dives into, you know, those with pure heart who will not lift up their souls to what is false. And immediately a little mm. bit of inadequacy kind of seeps in of like, oh, shoot, that's not me in my mind. Oh, yeah. So that was an initial thought, I mm. think. Yeah. Oh, no, that, that resonates. I mean, I think throughout these conversations that I've had, there are moments, maybe especially moments where David is, I don't know whether a little bit of pride or whether it's a little bit full of himself or just like he's having a good a good kind of spiritual day as he pens <laughs> these psalms. But there's frequent times where I'm like, I don't know that I'm being described very accurately in this psalm. So mm-hmm. that resonates, resonates a lot. I actually zeroed in on that same exact passage. And I'm always fascinated by the ways that the Psalms push back on my presuppositions, or that might not even be the quite the right way, the, the cartoonish ways anyway, maybe that I portray or can easily fall into, or that sort of the churches that I've grown up in, or kind of the Christian culture I've been around sometimes portrays things. Mm-hmm. And one of those is, I think, sometimes this idea that in the Old Testament, it was about the external things that you had to do. Yeah. You had to check all your religious boxes. And then the New Testament, God suddenly changes his mind and he cares about the heart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that does tend to get passed around a bit in church, I think. Yeah. yeah. And it's this like strange, it's this strange kind of cartoonish version, but it's, it's got this, it's got this way of kind of seeping inside of us. And mm-hmm. I find that verse four in particular, my translation has the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. And most of those things are about what's happening internally mm-hmm. for us, mm-hmm. you know, they're not external check boxes. So, you know, I, I like to think that I know better at this point in my <laughs> journey than to assume this strange binary where the God of the Old Testament was all about, you know, external religion and then thank God for Jesus. But it's so easy to fall into those simple and not true narratives, I think. And so I appreciate how this psalm even just in that and just one verse can push back on me in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even, and I know different translations say it differently, but mine says, does not lift up their soul to what is false. Mm. And even just yeah. the picture of that, I think is, that might be kind of when it talks about false gods. I think that there's something yeah. really beautiful about that, but that's that's very internal. But it still actually kind of echoes this picture of a physical action. You know, to lift up yeah. your soul. And so, yeah, I, I think God is, is always good about kind of pulling out the fact that he talks about, you know, circumcision of the heart, you know, weaving mm-hmm. the physical and the spiritual together in a way that yes. I think probably was a bit shocking for the Jews of that time as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's something I think, you know, we still wrestle with. It's so easy to separate. I love how you talked about the ways that even the psalm is weaving those two together, right? It's not one or the other. Mm-hmm. And even the imagery has a kind of physicality to it. Let's continue as we kind of grapple and learn from Psalm 24. There is a lot about God in this particular psalm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really curious, what would you say we learn about God? Knowing you cannot encompass the fullness yeah, necessarily I think, in I a think short that's, podcast. Right? My mind immediately wants to sum it up really well. I mean, I think I did yeah. your, your haiku Bible study maybe like a year ago now, Matt. And, you know, the mm. goal of that was really to continue to sum up, you know, really concisely, but then in a poetic way. And I think it's like yeah. an, 
it always seems like an unattainable goal now in my mind. <laughs> I'll have to get back to the haikus, but... Haiku, is it out there? <laughs> Absolutely. I think, I mean, honestly, if you're looking at the last couple verses, it's just so repetitive mm. in terms of referring to God as a king of glory. It's, it's hard yeah. to pass over that. And the fact that it's repetitious just like kind of pounds that in. The king of glory, strong and mighty in battle. So, And then it even compares him to, you know, talks about ancient doors and ancient gates. You're getting a really strong picture of God. Yeah. Right after you get a really like sweet kind of internal pure hearts, like the sprinkling of clean water. like, <laughs> <laughs> And so yeah. I, I think it, you know, it's, it kind of contrasts this as well, I think. Mm. But something really kind of triumphant at, at the end of this passage of, of who God is as a king. I'm curious, and this is just in conversation, so you don't have to have immediate thoughts here, but I was wrestling with what it meant that God is the king of glory. <laughs> it's a really interesting dis- description choice. Mm-hmm. It's not, as far as I could tell, a particular title that is given to God kind of repeatedly. Mm-hmm in scripture but it's it's obviously hugely significant in psalm 24 yeah i don't know if you have a kind of any immediate thoughts or if you'd wrestled at all with what does it mean that he's not only the king but the king of glory i mean i think i immediately think i i wouldn't necessarily understand what that means one because he's god but two because i don't know what it's like to live underneath a king mm. in like a really earthly sense i guess yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I can even imagine that, like, our brothers and sisters in the UK or in other nations that, you know, have have rulers might even have kind of a different picture what that looked like. But even still, hmm. a really kind of watered-down version of what it means to serve a king. And then one who is, you know, of glory, that I think that's a bit beyond me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like I have many analogies like even in mind for like what that looks like, like what's, mm. I mean, even the Old Testament, right? The prophets have these images of the nations coming to God on the day of the Lord and sort of laying down their treasures and submitting themselves. I'm like, is there any analogy in human history where the people with power sort of willfully submit to someone with <laughs> even more power, you know? I mean, usually it's like conquered situations, mm-hmm. which, I mean, mm-hmm. the Bible also has that in mind. That's also in the background, right? This is the Lord who is strong and mighty. There's also conquest. But I did write down, you know, this is, he's some sort of uber king. Like, I don't know, yeah. I don't know what this looks like exactly. Yeah. But it's sort of king turned all the way up to 11 or something. Yeah. And I love, too, one of the images here is, and I was struck by the vastness of the psalm, the fact that it starts with creation. And there's sort of this idea, in some sense, in which he is entering creation. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not just going to some city. He's not He's not just coming and, like, Lincoln is his seat of power, you know, in <laughs> Northern California. Yeah. <laughs> but really, he's entering all of creation. There's a sense in which the whole world is the place of his dominion, which I find... Like when I actually stop to think about it, when I look out at a vista and think like, this is a small part of God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. And I think even like there's a progression to this. He's entering creation. He's entering the world. And then it talks about ascending the hill. And, you know, I had to yeah. talk to my husband and be like, Nathan, what specifically is he talking about? Like a mountain outside of Jerusalem? And he's like, he's talking about Jerusalem. You know, it's actually on a hill. He's talking about the holy city. And, you know, that's kind of the metaphor they're using. And then actually to enter into the gates. 
So it's a progression. It's a journey from like, you know, you think of Christ and, you know, we're in Holy Week and we just had Palm Sunday. And so this idea of Christ enters creation, enters humanity, and then his journey to Jerusalem and then Palm Sunday, his entry into the gates, you know, in a little microcosm, that's all happening in this psalm, (laughs) which is kind of remarkable. You timed that so well. Well, I, you know, this is unfortunately, I don't get any of the credit, but that's a beautiful observation. Yeah, what it means when we think about Christ entering and and the the ways that we learn about his kingship from what subsequently happens, right? It's mm-hmm. so powerful. Then the king of glory enters and everyone says Hosanna. And then his rule, so to speak, looks completely unexpected. Certainly the ways that it's kind of begun through death. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that connection. Yeah. Thanks for that, Olivia. I think you, you even mentioned with like, we're typically more used to a conquering king coming in, you know. And then so mm-hmm. the fact that, that Christ is, you know, a picture of this king riding in, you know, on a donkey. And then his, his picture of what a king yeah. of glory actually looks like is so radically different than everybody expected. It's always a good reminder, I think. <laughs> Well, let's let's bring the conversation too to our own lives as we pray this psalm along with people from the last thousands of years. How does this psalm help us to pray? Oh, this is, I think, the question that I probably struggled with. Um, sure. Because my inclination is typically just to recite the words back and just expect mm. that they change me. Yeah. More often than not, God reminds me some self-awareness is required, you know. <laughs> Prayer, you know, that. we're coming to know God more fully through prayer, but also ourselves. And so I think, you know, like I said, my initial reaction to this was a little bit of a sense of inadequacy because I, I know that I'm not one that's pure of heart. And then yet at the same time, the Lord promises me that I will be in his presence, that I will get to be in the new Jerusalem someday. And so I think there's, for me, this I think would be kind of a prayer of longing and of expectation and hopefulness to for what is to come, because there is that expectation that God has cleansed me. He sees me pure of heart through his son, but that I will one day be in his presence and get to experience and understand, okay, who is this king of glory? What does right. that actually look like? So I think, I think it's it's exciting, but it, it feels like a one of expectation, kind of like I said, like in the journey. And I know I feel like mm-hmm. I'm still in the beginning stages, you know? I'm glad you kind of circled back because one of my questions I was just curious about how kind of the the discomfort of this particular kind of psalm interacted <laughs> with this question. So I'm so glad you raised that. And I love too what you said. I think there's a deep truth in sometimes the ways that we come to the psalms is just to recite the words, you know, mm-hmm. and we sort of uh, sit with that for a while and trust that the spirit works through that. So I think that's that's a really kind of wise instinct too, or a way of entering the psalms. I'm fascinated. And this is one of the things I love about these conversations, because the thing that I was really struck by is that this psalm, I think, can help us pray God's triumph, mm. which I think is both pairs with yours and is a different lens from what you're kind of reflecting on. And I was listening to a podcast that's called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. It was an earlier episode, and one of the hosts was talking about a conversation that they had with a friend, and they were going along, and this friend was like, can I ask you a question? And his response was, well, you've asked me a bunch of other questions. We've been talking for a while, but sure, you can ask me a question. (laughs) And they were talking about some particular issue in in the host's life. And his friend just asked him, you know, why don't you ever talk about spiritual warfare Hmm. when it comes? I never hear you talk about about spiritual warfare. And 
those was just like, oh, that's interesting. You're right, I don't. And there's probably some stories of his background, right, that was playing out there. It's it's both analogy and I think the subject has some relationship here too because I did I did think as I kind of encountered this psalm, you know, one thing I don't pray a lot about is God's triumph. That's not language that mm-hmm. feels like it kind of naturally flows out of my mouth. And I think sometimes it's because I have a sense of I don't want to discount people's pain or people's struggle or, you know, the challenge. I don't want to sort of force them to skip, <laughs> you know, over the the meaningful work that comes with those things. But sometimes if that's to the detriment of never naming, mm-hmm. you know, never entering verses 7 through 10 and glorying in the king of glory, so to speak, I'm actually missing something in my life of prayer in both thanking God for that triumph and in joining with the psalmist in proclaiming it. And I, for me, you know, I was thinking about Holy Week as well, but also Easter, mm-hmm. that this psalm, I think, and so fascinating that you brought up Palm Sunday, which I hadn't made that connection, which feels so <laughs> obvious. <laughs> but that's why, that's, why, that's why this isn't a solo podcast, because I was also drawn to the Easter, the triumph mm-hmm. that's coming and the way that the psalm also helps us enter that. So anyway, that, that's kind of where my mind went, but I'm just so, so intrigued always by the ways that different people can read the same psalm and it speaks to us and helps us pray in such different ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that I think that's so insightful, Matt. And I think that kind of harkens in my mind to the beauty of interdenominational worship and conversation, because so much of what you're mm. talking about in terms of spiritual warfare and God is triumphant, and even like there's yeah. an atonement theory called Christ the Victor, and that's the big focus mm-hmm. often of more charismatic communities and so then coming for that from that community personally like all those things i'm like yeah that's like the background like if somebody in one of my old churches were to talk about it that's what they'd hone in on immediately and i think me being me i'm always like let's you know swing away from that or let's stray to something new a little bit but like you're right often we we don't want to discount people's pain who are maybe not experiencing the idea of crisis victory or maybe don't have a good understanding what that could look like apart from their pain and so then you get you do get stuck often and not you know seeing god as triumphant and and so you maybe you'll focus too much a little bit on good friday and you'll kind of miss Mm -hmm. the joy of easter sunday or vice versa where it'll all be all about easter sunday and you're like we're not even having anything to talk about, you know, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday. I mean, I think it's mm-hmm. actually a really evident thing you can see in a lot of churches of the way that they, I guess you'd say, celebrate or navigate the week. Kind of their yeah, idea sure. and belief about God as triumphant, you know, or God simply as meeting them in their suffering, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think there's the gift of humility, right? Being able to learn from other Christians and recognizing that we, I mean, even when we think about the Psalms, we pray this with other Christians, Mm -hmm. right? And this is the gift of these kinds of conversations. Like, what do you see? What, like, how, help, help me pray this Psalm better. Yeah. In other words, is, is maybe one way even to think about this last question. And I appreciate, you know, you said at the beginning, that's worth revisiting, like the Psalms themselves. If every Psalm was a triumphant Psalm, that would be a particular kind of way of framing all our worship, but that's not the case. No, yeah. These the Psalms themselves are in conversation, uh, which is, I think, really helpful to remember, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely gives me space in different seasons to feel like the Psalms speak to my life and not just to like one emotion that I experience, you know? Yeah, yeah really grateful for that. The Lord obviously <laughs> knows how he created his people. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's right. It is as if he understands us better than we understand ourselves, <laughs> yeah. which he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Olivia, I'm really thankful for this conversation. There was a lot in here. Like I said, the Pump Sunday connection didn't even occur to me. So <laughs> I'm grateful. I'm grateful for this conversation for that insight alone. But there was a lot more than just that. So thanks for taking some time and talking about Psalm 24 with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Well, friends, let's conclude as we do every episode with some verses from the psalm. And these ones are drilled into our minds, so we might as well end with verses 9 and 10. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Go out and pray the psalms.